The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories? It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. All right, welcome on everyone. If you're listening on Locker Room and of course, if you're listening after the fact on the pod, let's get rolling here. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to go through our annual playoff preview, which is a little bit more difficult than usual, but considering that we're not going to be recording between 11 p.m. Pacific time on Friday and noon Pacific time on Saturday, we're just going to have to go ahead and do it now. Those of you in locker room, feel free to get your speaker requested now. Of course, the the way we're doing this, we're just going to record our normal show for about an hour and then we'll get to some questions after that, but uh, feel free to jump on in uh, with the speaker request and they will be handled in the order that they are received um you want to talk a little awards first here though john you came out with your column i i did my pod uh, about a week Mm -hmm. ago so i think we're largely in agreement uh, on most of these here um but mvp you had rudy gobert second in mvp pretty much higher than anyone else that i've seen i'm on my own i'm on my own island on this without a question <laughs> well i mean that's yeah. uh, you know this is my thought on it though well here but why don't you explain why that is and then then we can talk about it sure uh from a value perspective uh the team with the best record in the in the league built its entire system around him at both ends uh and other than Jokic, she played far more minutes than any other mvp contender slash pretender whatever um and I, I think he's really undervalued for obviously he's going to win defensive player of the year, but I think he's actually undervalued for his offensive impact and the suction he creates is what enables everything else Utah does offensively too. Uh, now, obviously they have great shot makers and decision makers and whatnot, and that greases it quite a bit, but the whole, the, the center, the thing that's holding it all together is Gobert running around screening everyone and, and trucking to the rim every single time and just doing it over and over and over and over. And I think that's an easy thing to underrate, uh, but he's really good at it. And combined with his massive defensive value, I thought he had a great MVP case this year that just kind of got swept under the rug. Yeah, and you make the, a great point that he doesn't get enough credit for just his incredible intensity, his incredible effort level, and just what type of shape he's in. I mean, he's just in probably just about as good a shape as you're ever going to see from that type of a player. You know, KG type of shape, Bill Russell type of shape, like that, where he just runs constantly, as you mentioned, with the screens. He gets 
gets out on the floor he's constantly moving so i do think that's a really underrated aspect of his game um and i disagree with you in part because i think offense is just more important than defense although probably more so even in the playoffs than in the regular season and i do think that replacement level is generally higher particularly at center defensively than it is for someone like say luka Doncic or steph curry or 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 Jokic, obviously as well like those offensive initiators uh also i think just the overall variance in defense was way down this year like being the number three or number four defense didn't put you as far above league average as it did in some years but all that said he absolutely makes their system run you look at the on off numbers it's one of the greatest defensive on off differentials that we've seen and like there is a statistical case like if you look at all these one number metrics and on off metrics uh if you're gonna say that defense is as important as offense like you're not this isn't crazy like i don't i don't think that this is just like some massive outlier to say that in this regular season on this team that rudy gobert provided the the most value because there is a statistical case to support what you're saying okay so i'm not insane on on, yeah. on this small on this small <laughs> piece of turf anyway <laughs> yeah there's a there is something that you uh, i can't remember what it was for you said that i wasn't insane and that that made me very happy i'm gonna uh present that <laughs> present that in, in in my case to the state when they come for me but uh yeah i mean i i had gobert probably more in the five to seven range and you know it, it is interesting i think both of us obviously are kind of affected by just the tradition of what mv has been for us uh, where for you uh I, I mean maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong here but it, there does seem to be at least an element to you of rewarding the best team the most dominant team in the regular season it, a little bit of kind of telling the story of the season as well within reason obviously um mm-hmm. is is that fair to say or, or is that a mischaracterization no i think that's fair i mean i think part of his case is that utah had the best record in the league right so I I think without that, his case is definitely weaker. You know, if he had been in Curry's situation, dragging a flawed team to the eighth seed, I just don't think the case would have been as compelling. It would have been, you know, a Kevin Garnett year in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, and he didn't miss any games. And that to me, he and Jokic to me were really the only two candidates who almost survived this ridiculous season uh, totally unscathed. So, yeah, I've, you know, in terms of this regular season, like he easily is the best player in the Jazz, uh, to be sure. So let's see. Uh, So here's another one that I thought was interesting Uh, Jason Tatum, second team forward, worth noting that you had Jimmy Butler and Paul George as guards i think they're eligible both at guard and four that that kind of messed everything up i when i do it i just do it by the position that they've actually played this season and or and what i think they are um but tatum to me i mean like i would be surprised if he makes all nba he was not on any of my all nba teams so what was the thinking about having him on the all nba second team uh so i rewarded durability basically like he, he was just i mean he was there all year and so many of these guys weren't yeah um so he he just had such a massive minutes advantage on these other players that and i mean i think he's getting a little too much of a deduction for boston being viewed as a disappointment this year yeah and i'm and i'm not sure if that's 
totally fair. So that that that's where I came in with him uh, as basically the other four guys I had on my second team, I think were pretty much slam dunk non-controversies, right? So, but when I compare Tatum to how many minutes Jimmy Butler or LeBron James or Paul George played, it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> like there's a massive difference here. And I, I, I think he was better than Julius Randle, who would be the other one you could put there. So, uh, so yeah, so it came down to Tatum for me. Yeah, and you had Chris Paul on your second team too. So it seems like you kind of skew more towards like would you say that your criteria for all NBA are the same as for MVP? I was a little softer on uh durability uh for all NBA than I was for MVP because I did feel like I put James Harden on the third team and LeBron James on the third team because I was like what what the hell are you doing if these guys aren't on the top 3 teams? Now Durant missed more than half the season so I you know I I could leave him off more justifiably I felt like. Yeah. Um so uh that that's that's where I got to with those guys but yeah I mean especially at the top you know I was I still geared more toward value you know that's why I had I had Embiid on the second team because again I mean Gobert played 530 minutes more than he did I mean that's you know that's 11 full games out of 72 I mean that's a lot of time so uh it, it was hard for me to uh to not recognize that yeah, that, that I, to me, I my thing was basically like if you played more than half the games, you're eligible. So KD, no, but LeBron, yeah, and I would ding guys a little bit as a, as a tiebreaker. But I, also, again, this is such a such a crazy season. Now, I guess the other thing uh, that I wanted to talk about is this. So let me paint a picture for you here. Here's a team that has been downtrodden in the Eastern Conference for. A long time. They really made an unexpected improvement this year uh, behind a young star. They got much better at the end of the floor that this young star contributes the most. He's the best player on his team. And he really powered his team to uh, a top five seed in the Eastern Conference, way better than anyone expected them to be this season. Um, so why isn't Julius... I'm sorry, I mean, uh, Trey Young getting a lot more love. Yeah, I, I, knew, I saw that record scratch coming for, from a mile away that you're going to go Trey Young. For, for why isn't he getting more love for all NBA? I mean, he didn't even make the all-star team for that matter. But it's just, it's so weird to me that people just don't appreciate how good this guy is and... You know, someone like Julius Randle has basically the same story. Plays in New York, obviously. Uh, and Trey Young, they had plenty of injuries there. They were really good there. Uh, they started the year poorly, but they've been on this incredible tear lately. Like, why does he just get no respect? And maybe, maybe he gets more from you. I don't know. You didn't really talk about him too much in in your piece, but no, I, I, I didn't. I actually like statistically, he wasn't that overwhelming. Um, a lot of guys had crazy numbers this year yeah. and, and Young's relative to that were like, okay, yeah, you were pretty good. Um, and I felt Atlanta's success was a little more of an ensemble cast thing. You know, Capella had a really good year. Gallinari really good second half of the season. Bogdanovich really good second half of the season. Um, I, I thought actually once when they, when they made the coaching change, but even more like they, they got some of their players back too. I, I just thought they were, they were a really good cast and that that was their biggest advantage. I mean, Trey Young was still their best player, but I thought their advantage was that 
their third and fourth best players were just way the hell better than yours. Yeah, I I, I think Trey Young was still the guy driving most, of, and even when they were 14 and 20 to start the year, but basically a neutral point differential, that was basically all him. And a big reason why Lloyd Pierce got fired and that they were 14 and 20 was they just sucked when he was off the floor. I mean, they're, for all year, basically, he had a massively positive differential. He's top 10 in basically all of the offensive impact metrics. Uh, and you know maybe <laughs> I, I think there's a number of reasons. One is he just, you know, his game aesthetically has kind of gotten this reputation now as a foul drawer. The three-pointers uh, have been lower than they were. He hasn't had like quite as many highlights. His individual efficiency is down a little bit and certainly is very reliant on free throw drawing. And uh, probably a lot of voters just look at field goal percentage and three-point percentage and don't really consider true shooting that much. Where he's still above league out. I think he's like 59%. But I just think that his... Yeah passing is just woefully underrated also a guy who played a ton of minutes uh, as well that he just runs a, a lot of the things uh, on that team run through him particularly early in the year and he just sets up a, a ton of open threes and is just statistically a top 10 offensive player in basketball and then obviously the defense is another reason that he gets dinged but that's sort of this yeah. easy way to uh, this facile way to reject guys who aren't on winning teams and that's fine if you want to go that route he's on a winning team like is is they're very good when he's on the floor like they they exceeded expectations and so it's just it's just very odd to me that he doesn't get the credit for it whereas someone like julius randall who you know i think trey young is a much bigger part of the hawks success than randall is of the knicks success because the Knicks offense is not really that great. And you could say, hey, Randall is the guy pushing them to even be not that great as opposed to just atrocious. Um, and he's got a mm -hmm. lot of heavy lifting to do. But like the offense is the end of the floor where the Hawks are really awesome, where defense is for the Knicks. And I don't give Randall a bunch of credit for that. So it's just it's just interesting to me that those guys kind of have similar stories and yet Trey Young gets no love. And like Zach Lowe is writing that it would be reasonable to put Julius Randall on the All-NBA first team this year. Yeah, I... Uh... Zach's a friend of the show. No disrespect. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, um, you can you can yeah. disagree uh, on on things like that, which which I do. But uh. um, yeah, it's 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 interesting that he didn't get more traction in the second half of the season. I mean, I think what's definitely helping Julius Randle is that the Knicks are quote unquote a story this year, right? Yeah. And so guys always get extra credit for that. The, the you know the guy in the surprise team, uh, they always get a little bit of a bounce. So. Uh, I, I think that's definitely some of what happened with Julius Randle. I actually left him off because I couldn't put him at center. And I, I, you know, I cheated because Jokic was listed as a forward. I'm like, okay, let me put Jokic and Gobert on the first team and beat on the second team. So I don't have to put one of these guys as third team when they're clearly all among the 10 best players this year, in my opinion. Um, and so, but I couldn't take the way the ballot is set up then. So my third team center, instead of taking Randall or Zion Williamson, which is probably what you would do in real life, I had to take Bam Adebayo. And I, I couldn't take Anthony Davis because he just, just didn't play enough games. So would you support going, making all NBA the same as all rookie, just no positions at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. hundred percent. Um, all right, let me see. Uh, the, then, uh, I mean, I really had some issues with, uh, you putting, uh, Facundo Campazzo on your all rookie second team that you want to spend 10 minutes. Oh, on that? I mean, all rookie second team debates are, are very important. I think we should really extend this out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's a wonderful extension of who makes, uh, the rookie sophomore game. Or I'm sorry, the, the, yes, the, exactly. sprite, the sprite rising stars. It, it, it's still this, sprite, right? This is me. This is me trying to qualify to be an assistant coach someday. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, although, how is that not sponsored by Mountain Dew, by the way, the, the rising stars? Like, it's so hip and cool. It should be Mountain Dew. It's Sprite. Uh, so, I mean, Sprite doesn't come. You're going to get in trouble if we ever get a soda sponsorship for this show. <laughs> Sprite doesn't come in like a bright red color variation. How, how could it possibly be sponsoring uh, the, yeah, right? the rising like, stars? Why yeah. Um, why don't you just do Seagram's tonic water, right? Like, come on. <laughs> um oh yeah so all defense is another one that i thought was interesting and i haven't done my all defense picks yet but you had caruso on there you had thibel on there i I, like thibel clearly to me you know is one of the better wing defenders in basketball i got no arguments with you there i just can't go there for all defense if it's not a guy who is playing 25 or 30 minutes a game every night and closing games yeah i i get i get i get that i understand that um and i i wrestled with that and i don't i I don't have a answer to that that i'm totally happy with right now um i thought i thought uh title stats were so overwhelming that he warranted an exception um and i really wasn't quite sold on any of the other guys I had on the second team, moving them up to the first team. Uh, and then I may have tried a little too hard to put a Laker on my team. Um, yeah. So uh, putting Caruso there, uh, you know, d- Davis missed time. LeBron missed. I could have put LeBron there too, I guess. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I did <sighs> Anyway, so that's how I ended up with Caruso. Yeah, and I think Caruso is good, and these guys have the decent statistical arguments. Yeah, and it's maybe it's a little unfair to the concept of all defense to say because the reason that those guys probably aren't out there is really more their offense at the end of games. Yeah. But yeah, that your yeah. offense still has to be good enough for, for you to have that defensive value where you're really the one who is yeah. uh who's I, at the there at the getting stops at critical moments of the game. I I think there's an argument too with uh Caruso and a little bit with TJ McConnell, who's another guy I thought about yeah. that they are able to play the way they play because they're playing 20 minutes and not 40 minutes. Yeah. Like Tybal, the way he plays, I think he could do that for 40 minutes. I'm not sure Caruso could. Yeah, well, TJ, he's been playing like 45 minutes a game in some of these games with Brockton. Has, <laughs> well, yeah. Has been out. Yeah, the way the Pacers are dropping like flies, exactly. Oh, man. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's get to our playoff awards here. But first, John, I'm going to leave it up to you here. We, did, we just talked about a, a lot of players here, but who of those players, which of those players is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week? Oh, it's got to be Rudy Gobert. Come on, we get we got to come up with something to honor the season he had, since he's not he's apparently not going to win MVP or even really get a vote other than my imaginary one. So yeah, Rudy Gobert, top seeded Utah Jazz, played every game, great season. Uh, so we tip our hat to yeah. Rudy Gobert. Uh, Danny said this, and I agree. He should be the unanimous defensive player, which he's not going to be because yes. people don't think about defense the way they think about Steph Curry in a 73 win season. But yeah, he should. I mean, there's just no argument for anyone else. And uh, yeah, there's no argument for any beer other than Michelob Ultra either. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Rudy Gobert and the Jazz certainly enjoyed their games this season. Are the Jazz happy because they win? Or do they win because they're happy? I think they're happy because they win, if I had to decide. In any event, (laughs) Rudy Gobert is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, and we have succeeded in not being fired by David Locke for at least a few more weeks. Yet. Yes. (laughs) 
I love being able to recommend products on this show that I use every day that I really appreciate. And nothing falls into that category more than Theragun. It's the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. I've tried a bunch of these other ones. There are a ton of knockoffs out there now. The off-brand stuff just isn't as good. It doesn't get that same level of depth. The material is not the same. It doesn't have that triangular handle that really lets you reach anywhere on your body that you might be feeling muscle tension. This isn't just like a surface level of massage. I think it actually works better than a massage to get rid of those adhesions, especially if you're old like me. You've got those little spots in your body that where you try to run, you try to lift weights, you try to play your sport and you're just like, man, I've just got this knot here. Like this muscle is not firing the way I want it to. Theragun is the thing that's worked best for me to get rid of those adhesions, get my muscles feeling like they did when I was younger. And it's not just me who trusts it. Over 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova trust Theragun as well. You could try it for 30 days risk-free starting at only $199. If you think these claims are ridiculous i don't think they are that's it's really has helped me that much but if you think these claims are ridiculous well just give it a shot for 30 days and if it doesn't live up to what you think it's going to be you can return it risk-free go to theragun.com slash pr right now and get your gen 4 theragun today that's theragun.com slash pr don't forget that slash pr to let them know that you came from us uh all right let's talk some playoffs here and i'm pissed that the league copied our format Because usually on Wednesday, we eliminate a team from the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, Poor Hornets, man. Lost six straight at the end. They uh, may not have been ready for uh, diet playoff basketball last night. Yeah, man, that was that was rough. I mean, they were. They were not prepared. And I like they played a they lost to Washington in the last game, but like they played a respectable game. Like I, I just didn't see this coming. No. Uh and I didn't know that Brogdon was gonna play when I made my pick for uh the Hornets to be a slight favorite. Uh had I known that Brogdon was gonna play and look as good as he did, which was encouraging for the Pacers, I probably would have would have favored uh, the Pacers. So yeah, I mean, they just, it, it was a disaster. Like, starting Bismack Biombo, uh, you know, went, and they, this wasn't even autopilot either. I guess they just wanted him to match up right yeah. at the start with Sabonis. But, I mean, Cody Zeller handled him I'm, in the post just fine. Like, I don't understand why they didn't just start Zeller. Um, and I was surprised they actually didn't throw more junk ball at them. They didn't really go to PJ Washington at five much. Um, and they were having trouble scoring pretty much the whole time. So, yeah, it was just it was just a weird game all around. And I mean, the one thing you can say in defense, it just went off the rails so quickly that, I, you know, you, you're kind of scrambling for the beginning if you're if you're coaching in a game like that. Um, and then so, like some of the stuff they were doing off the ball, like going like trying to go under screens on pin downs from McDermott. And like they got beat multiple times on that. And the, the, I don't know. It was it was rough. Yeah, LaMelo was absolutely awful uh, as well. He had a rough game. Yeah, he had a couple of good games coming back from the wrist, uh, but was was not very good. Um, Yeah, I mean, they were within 12 at the end of the first, and then they gave up like four points in the last 20 seconds of the quarter. And then it really went off the rails at the start of the first, first play, the first play, the second half, two guys run into each other and fall down. They get a dunk. And it's just like, all right, check, please. Yeah. That was on 
they're already down down 24 so um yeah wizards and pacers uh, will play each other um but let's just talk generally about the playoffs as much as we can obviously it's a little tougher not knowing right now whether warriors or lakers or other uh where they're gonna be in the bracket yeah uh so let's start though by just ranking the most interesting series to you here in the first round so for me it's got to be milwaukee miami um yeah, the, the league agrees. The they, they, uh, the, the league put that at uh, you know the earliest possible time on Saturday, so they're, they're right there with you. <laughs> Unfortunately, interesting to us doesn't always equate to eyeballs nationally. Um, but I, I say that provisionally because I think if Phoenix plays the Lakers, that immediately moves to number one. Well, whoever the Lakers play, I think would move to. I mean, you Jazz Lakers would be up there as well. Yeah, so that's that's probably number one. Uh, yeah, and, and Milwaukee, Miami is number two. How did you feel, by the way, about because we haven't talked in a couple of weeks here about the Bucks' decision to smash Miami at home on Saturday to basically ensure that they would play Miami? Yeah, that was really interesting, right? Because they could have potentially gotten themselves the Knicks instead. And it was, I mean, in a way it was a positive thing by them, right? It was just saying, they were just saying like, we don't, we don't care. We're not afraid. We want this. We owe them from last year. You know, let's bring it on. I don't think Miami is as good as they were last year. I, I think the, the Bucks will win this series, but I think they would have had an easier time winning a series against the Knicks too. Yeah, and the way I put it is you just want to maximize your chance of winning a championship, right? Like against the Knicks, if Giannis Antetokounmpo sprains his ankle in game two and can't come back until game five, they're probably still going to win the series anyway. That may not be the case against Miami. And then also you're leaving Philly such an easy road to get into the East finals now. And you're just, you're just creating more variants, right? Like there's just no, you're making your overall road of winning a championship much harder right. by doing it this way. And no, I understand that. And I, I'm sure Giannis being the competitor that he is was like, no, fuck it. Like let's beat these guys. Now let's get some confidence. Jimmy Butler didn't play, which maybe made that a little bit different, but, and then we're just going to kick their ass again like fuck these guys we're better than them like we're going to show them i certainly yeah. understand that component of it but that's why your organization I, I mean it's crazy too like mike budnelser is they're talking about him maybe getting fired and yet you know he's uh, appeared to totally be on board that he said it doesn't make sense to try to manipulate things etc uh, etc et yeah i mean the only argument i can see from his standpoint is if he's thinking if i rest these guys they won't have played a game for 10 they, days they could have just played against chicago the next day though oh they still have the chicago yeah. game you're right you're right um yeah that's true i would feel yeah there is yeah. there is that I, I was thinking it was their last game of the season it wasn't yeah you're right now the other thing probably was they're thinking hey we could still get the two seed we want to put pressure on the nets but they were playing the cleveland cavaliers who uh had some slight incentives uh, to to lose basketball games. <laughs> some incentives pointing in a little different direction. Yeah. Uh, there was also a potential scenario with home court advantage in a finals against the Clippers or Denver. Um, I'm, I can't reconstruct that in my head and, and, 
Yeah, um, the, the Clippers uh, did not seem too concerned about getting home court advantage against the Bucks. Though <laughs> I, can, I can assure you of that. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like that game? Man, that was that was rough. I mean, <laughs> the level of degaff in the last ninety seconds of that game for an allegedly close game was pretty amazing. Well, I thought actually, given the personnel that was on the floor, that the Thunder were at least trying and hey you know what if i'm alexi pokashevsky i don't want the thunder getting Cade cunningham i want to be the starting small forward next year uh, yeah yeah totally yeah not that yeah. he was even probably yeah. thinking uh, about that but i mean Ty Lu, the eight post-ups punch five <laughs> the, the, the iso isos for daniel oturo uh, and then yeah. And then, uh, yeah, let's just, oh, good shot, Poku. Let's just dribble out the clock now and hand the ball to the ref. Like, that was pretty bad. Um, no, it was pretty it was pretty incredible. I mean, I, I think that at least with teams that, you know, because we've seen games like this before where, you know, it's two teams really, you know, fighting for lottery position and particularly into the old system as well when it mattered even more. Um, you know, two teams that are like right at the bottom of the lottery fighting for position. Um, yeah. But at least... Like, I don't think the coaches were in on it. Maybe Rick Carlisle and some of those Mavs years because he was just so established. But Ty yeah. Lue, holy shit, was he in on it. Like, he, yeah. it was the greatest tanking coaching performance I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should have made him the, the Michelob uh, Player of the Week. <laughs> here's, here's my question for the Clippers. Why? What do you mean? Why they they avoid the Lakers until the conference finals? That's the only team they're scared of. It's obvious to me. I think is, is that that's okay. I mean, the the first tank yeah. against Houston prevented them from playing the Lakers in the first round. Uh, that uh-huh. that those ninety seven yeah. analytics guys there cranked out that hey, if we lose this game, Denver and Portland playing each other means that there's no way we can face the Lakers in the first round. And then you get to the four seed, they're not scared of the Mavs either. That that's what you were thinking, right? You that they would rather have played Portland. Uh, but so I'm I'm thinking that and then I'm thinking are you sure the Lakers are going to be 7? Like you're 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 putting a lot of equity here, right? On the Lakers beating Golden State tonight. Yeah. I think they also really like their matchup against the Jazz as well. I think that was part of it. I think that they like how it looks with Marcus Morris at center going against Rudy Gobert. I think that's looked pretty good for them. So, um, yeah, I think they didn't really want to be on the same side of the bracket as the Nuggets either. Frankly, Jokic is is a really difficult matchup for them to deal with. So I I, I would have done the same thing, I, I think, in their in their view and, and you know probably the other thing you can say is all right if the lakers can't beat the warriors tonight are they then going to go ahead and beat the jazz in the in the first round as well and they're i think mean, the lakers are pretty substantial favorites tonight i would say so do you feel as though you've exhausted basically all that digital media has to offer at this point do you feel like you want to just be doing something better with your time i highly recommend giving master class a shot. My wife has gotten really into cooking at home lately. And I was like, yeah, why don't you do one of these awesome masterclass cooking classes here? They just have unbelievable stuff for cooking basically anything that you want to. They just added Aaron Franklin, Franklin's Barbecue in Austin. Best brisket around teaching Texas style barbecue cooking. Massimo Batura teaches modern Italian cooking. That was my attempt at an Italian accent to pronounce it properly. I don't, I don't know how well I did. Alice Waters right here where I live in Berkeley, California. 
teaching the art of home cooking, basically invented the farm-to-table movement. Thomas Keller, Wolfgang Puck, Nikki Nakayama, teaching modern Japanese cooking. And obviously, it's not just cooking and food. There's Phil Ivey teaching poker, Serena Williams on tennis, Steph Curry shooting and ball handling. The way to get started with them is at masterclass.com slash PER. Easy to remember that slash PER because that's the statistic that John invented. You can get unlimited access to every masterclass and 15% off an annual membership. That's at masterclass.com slash PER. One more time, masterclass.com slash PER for 15% off masterclass. Don't forget that slash PR to let them know that you came from us. Say you had a mess in your home, a rather disgusting substance, perhaps. You might want to use some water to clean that. You wouldn't just use a dry piece of toilet paper. Well, that probably should apply to your body as well. And that's why you should try out a bidet. And Hello Tushy's brand new 3.0 modern bidet attachment is here to get your butt absolutely pristine. It's super easy to install. It's way more affordable than other bidets. You just attach it to your existing toilet. There's no electricity or extra plumbing needed. And it also cuts your toilet paper use by 80%. So it pays for itself in just a few months. If you've never tried this before, you want to give it a shot. 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. So you don't have to worry if it's not for you. I highly recommend that you try it. The way to get started with them, hellotushy.com slash PER. That will get you 10% off plus free shipping. Go to hellotushy.com slash PER for 10% off. Hellotushy.com slash PER. Don't forget that slash PER to let them know that you came from us. Um. Okay, let's let's get back to the playoffs here. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, this is this is great. Actually, I have this note in here from last year. Uh, least interesting series, non Brooklyn Orlando division, because <laughs> all of those teams were in the bubble. The least interesting series will be the series with Philadelphia in it. Yes, um, I, I think they're going to mash either Boston or Washington. Um, ex- excuse me, either Washington or Indiana. Uh, so. Indiana in particular has basically no bigs right now except Sabonis, so that could get ugly pretty fast. Yeah, I don't like uh, Goga Batadze's chances in the post to guarding Embiid. That that could be a little bit of a, yeah. a, of a problem. Um, Going to be more like a no go. <laughs> no, no guy, but does it? He's actually had, had it, been, been okay this year. I, I still like him. All right. But yeah, I, I think that that's, I, I like, I like him long-term, but yeah, he's roadkill against Embiid. Yeah. And, and, and outside of the one eight Clippers, Dallas is not titillating me that much. You know, Dallas did beat them by 51 points. Yeah, Kawhi didn't play in that game, but uh, I, apparently none of the other Clippers did either. Yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like they kind of had the Clippers in trouble last year before Porzingis got hurt, but Porzingis. I, I just think the Clippers are better, and Dallas is worse this year, particularly Porzingis. I don't yeah. know that he can play at the level that he played at last year, and the Clippers aren't going to be playing Montrez Harrell, who is Luka Doncic's personal punching bag in that first run mm-hmm. last year before he became Nikola. Jokic's personal punching bag in, in the second round. Yeah, yeah, you know, that just yeah. seems like a pretty easy five-gamer, maybe six, but the Clippers don't really end up getting into difficulty. Yeah, I I agree with that. And, you know, yeah, for a 4-5 series, it doesn't, it doesn't feel very uh, competitive, you know? As opposed to Knicks-Atlanta. I mean, check this out. The Knicks in Atlanta not only had the same record this year, they were one point away from having the exact same point differential. Whoa, wow. That's uh, that's exciting stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Who, who do you like in that series, by the way? I like Atlanta. Uh, 
even though New York won all three meetings, uh, I thought New York had to shoot outlier well to win those three games. I think Atlanta right now, in terms of who they will have available in these games, just has a little bit more talent to put on the floor. Uh, neither of these coaches has coded themselves in glory in the postseason. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch from that perspective. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the Hawks. Yeah, I think I, I'm probably going to pick that Hawks in six. Uh, and I, I have concerns about Trey Young in the playoffs as much as I like him as a regular season player. But I don't think that the Knicks really, they don't play different defensive styles. They're not going to switch it really. You know, they're going to keep a big back. Like, I think Trey, and he's actually, although the Knicks swept the season series, Trey Young was like plus 20. Uh, and they were going to win the last game against them until Trey sprained his ankle. So, yeah, I think I like the Hawks also in that. And, you know, I want to see what whether Tibbs is capable of really adjusting defensively to deal with the, the shooting that the Hawks have. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I wonder, too. If they're going to if they're just going to give away too many deep threes that Trey and Bogdanovich and, uh, you know, Herter and Hunter's back now. Hunter played 24 minutes in the final game of the season. I think he gives them a big lift if he's able to do that in the postseason. Guarding Julius Randle, I think, is going to be a problem. Like, he's torched John Collins pretty badly this year. I think they have to put Capella on him. Yeah, I could see them doing that in the last five minutes of games when Rando really goes into his ISO thing. Um, mm -hmm. I would like to see uh, the, the Knicks, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they've done much this this year of having Randall handle the ball and attacking Trey Young and pick and roll. I think that could be really effective for them, but I haven't seen them do yeah. a ton of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in this series just because we haven't seen really any of these teams and players in the playoffs before. You know, this is too... Normally, you'd say, okay, you know, the, you'll get these series where it's a playoff ingenue matching up with uh, a team that's been there before and you know what that team is. And one team is going to really struggle just because they're not ready for playoff basketball and they're not that good. But, and, you know, if either of these teams were going against a team with playoff experience that was really good, I would pick them to lose pretty easily. But going against each other, it's, it's going to be fascinating, even if it's not going to be the absolute yeah. highest level of basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll, I think it'll give us some clues about these teams about, what they need to do for the offseason to really try to move up. Because, I I mean, either of these teams will be a massive underdog in the second round against Philadelphia, right? So yeah. it's, it's really more about what does this signify about where these teams stand in the bigger picture? Um, the star player who has the toughest matchup in the first round. I mean, can we say Giannis going against Bam again? Yeah, I mean, he did not have a, a great series against Miami last year until he was killing him in game four, and then he sprained his ankle. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty... Well, and, and it's not even necessarily Bam either. Like, they last year, they put Crowder on him a lot. They had Butler on him a little bit. They, they put yeah, Bam out there as well. You know, we'll see how Ariza matches up with him. I don't... He doesn't quite have the same strength. At least he's got some good old man strength, but he's not quite the bowling ball that Jay Crowder is. Um yeah. No, I I think that's that's a good one. He has not particularly succeeded in in that before. But the Bucks have more options now than they did last year. Also, um, yeah. The 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 other one, it's it's not going to matter. But James Harden 
being guarded by Marcus Smart. Yeah, if that's what it is. I mean, I think the Celtics will probably just have to do a lot of switching. I am really curious what the defensive philosophy is going to be for the Celtics in that series. Are they going to try and go more Grant Williams at center and do more switching? Like, I'm guessing that Robert Williams isn't really going to be able to contribute uh, after re-aggravating the turf toe. And so the the Unicornet, that's not exactly the guy. uh, The Unicornet. No, it's the Green Cornet. (laughs) No, the I think the unicornet is better because he like pl- kind of plays like Kristaps Porzingis. Like he's slow, he protects the rim, and he shoots threes. <laughs> he kind of plays like Kristaps Porzingis, and he was on the Knicks for a while too. Like that's where he came up. So he was like the 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 replacement. <laughs> yeah, I kind of sing like Michael Stipe. Like we're both bald white dudes. <laughs> And you're from, you're in Georgia too. It's really and I'm in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. You spent you spent a lot of time in Athens scouting Anthony Edwards last year. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. Let's. Uh, uh, I I do I do I do think this is a Grant Williams at five series for Boston. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Although I mean, he, he hasn't really been playing much either. So like, I mean, I think they're going to try it just because basically nothing that they try is going to work. So they're going to try other things, and then that's not going to work either. But yeah. he'll be one of the things that they that they cycle through uh, as well. Let's see who else has sure. a. a tough matchup here um and sabonis going against Embiid. that if that's what it is that'll be pretty difficult uh as well or russell about, westbrook going against Embiid and, and ben simmons i mean that's gonna be really rough yeah yeah westbrook against simmons yeah that, that would definitely be a tough one beal against tybal and danny green and then Embiid at the rim i mean that i mean what washington's gonna have some issues trying to score against that philly team i think uh what about DeAndre Ayton against Anthony Davis? Yeah, if that's what it is. Yeah, if it is, yeah. a, I mean, it still remains to be seen how much they play AD at center. Although Marc Gasol is certainly not exactly an easy guy to post up for Ayton, Ayton either. But yeah, I mean, that, that'll be a fascinating series if it does i mean whoever the lakers play it's going to be absolutely fascinating whoever the warriors play if they if they make it it is going to be absolutely fascinating as well i think um who would you say is the star player is the easiest matchup star player with the easiest matchup is it i mean dame lillard Kawhi, Kawhi, and paul george um yeah well who are they even going to put on Lillard? Is it going to be Dozier? Is it going to be Campazzo? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if Dozier is going to be able to play. I don't even know if Phil Barton is going to be able to play. Um, but obviously, you know, going against Jokic is either rim protection or being a little slower getting out on the floor. I mean, now Dame Lillard, he himself may not be able to score that much. If they put two on the ball, he'll have to get off the ball. But I think finally Portland has the, the horses to attack that strategy. Norman Powell, like if he gets the ball, he's just putting his head down and going to the rim. And there's not really... Yeah be much there to stop him i don't think that's that's an interesting series that denver portland um you know the blazers looked so morose for most of this season and then they really turned it on these last 10 games or so and denver's in kind of the opposite situation where they look like a real title contender and then murray goes down they start losing other players like we don't even really know who's suiting up for them in this series. I think uh, other than other than the MVP, right, and uh, and Michael Porter, and maybe that's enough just having those two. But that that feels like a seven game series again. 
No, it does. I I, I picked it yesterday as Portland in seven, I, a, a reprise of, of 2019. But wow. um, yeah, I mean, Jokic obviously is going to have a pretty decent matchup too. Like Nurkic is probably better than your average center defending him, but the rest of Portland's defense is relatively porous. I think the, the only problem for Jokic is Denver is just not having a ton of shooting. So maybe in a playoff situation, you'd be able to double more intelligently and just force some of these guards for Denver to make plays and make shots um yeah i mean and that seems like a similar playbook to what happened uh was it two years ago and you have porter there now who's obviously a knockdown shooter but you don't have murray anymore and it's just so questionable in that backcourt with the shot making yeah now i think one big difference is that Jokic is so much more aggressive as a jump shooter now than he was back in 2019 and that can really open up that blazers defense that relies on keeping a big center close to the rim um best coaching matchup and can we say steve kerr against frank vogel in in this game tonight i mean it's only one game uh you're right yeah that's that's a good one that's a good one that's that's gonna be i like that very interesting or or draymond green versus (laughs) versus lebron james Uh, yeah for real um that that's good um you know budenholzer versus spolstra again is going to be really interesting um because of what happened last year and because it'll be Budenholzer's final series. Oh, John, John, you're, you're getting ahead to uh, biggest coaching mismatch. That That's a separate oh. category. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yes. Uh, well, well played. Well played. Um, I want to see what Monty Williams can do in the postseason. He's going to end up with a tough matchup either way. I mean, for a team that had the second best record in the league, I mean, Phoenix kind of got the short end of the stick here. Uh, You know, they're likely facing the Lakers. I think whoever wins that series wins the second round too and makes it to the conference finals. But still, uh, you know, Monty Williams is going to be challenged right away, I think. So that that's a really interesting second round series if it's if it's Suns Lakers. Yeah. Uh and yeah, Monty has really has only had two postseason series. One of them he coached Chris Paul against the Lakers in twenty eleven. And they actually took the Lakers a little bit longer than expected in that series. And then uh, he got swept by the Warriors in twenty fifteen and and was summarily dismissed after that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Bud versus Miami thing, I mean, that's going to be fascinating because they they do, they are going to need some kind of a different plan, right? And they've supposedly been doing all this experimentation all year. The one thing, though, that worries me is I don't think they've actually looked that good, the Bucks defensively, while they've been doing the in- experimentation. Like, I see a lot of miscommunications. Right. You kind of right. don't know what they're in a lot of times watching. that That's always a problem for a coach when you're watching the game and you're like, I, I can't tell you what the defense is and what like I can't tell you who screwed up you know like because I don't even know what you're supposed to be in um you know it makes them unscoutable though I'm sorry it makes them unscoutable <laughs> um I mean I'm, I'm that, still that, picking. Was, that was always my argument about the uh you know the uh like the Josh Smith era Hawks about especially before they got good and it was just like a bunch of 20 year olds running around it's like well you can't scout their ATOs because they're just they're just going to do whatever once the ref hands the inbound or the ball so yeah the the uh back in the days of the uh the draft of the Joshes was that 2005 <laughs> yes. Josh Smith and uh yeah. and Childress, or, or yeah. maybe yeah maybe that was 2004 actually jeez uh so that's uh yeah, I mean, that would probably have to be it, Spo versus but I mean, just because we've seen it before, and, and we'll see mm-hmm. whether that changes or not. Uh, 
What about Stotts versus Malone? Well, Stotts won a series against Malone and arguably outcoached him yeah. two years ago. Another guy who might need to win the series to keep his job. Yeah, actually, uh, oh Terry Stotts. Yeah, I mean that's if yeah. it, it, can you imagine if Portland wins this series against a, a hobbled Denver team and then they just like double down again on this team like the same fool's gold that caused them to double down in 2018. <laughs> they just do it again. Oh, that's oh, that's totally Neil O'Shea comes too. out in the media of like, oh, we're gonna we're, we're a championship contender next year. Yeah, yeah. They, they signed Norman yeah. Powell to 25 million a year after this. Um, the series that has the most variables. Series with the most variables. I've got one. It, it, uh, Milwaukee and Miami okay. to me. Okay. Just because my, Miami is just such a massive variable, right? I mean, we, they sucked all year. They started playing a lot yeah. better. Uh, you know, Jimmy yeah. Butler, this is uh, Haversher had this stat. Jimmy Butler only played in one of their 12 games, or, or maybe it was nine games, whatever, uh, uh, against, against, the, against the top three in the East. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and they won that game against Philly. They killed him. And so just the Miami shooting. I mean, also, like both those teams bomb a, a bunch of threes. So just the, the three point shooting variants. I don't know, you know, Milwaukee, how well are they going to play different defensive schemes? I, I mean, I picked that as Bucks and six, but Miami easily could win that series i think or they could get yeah. swept like like i could see miami winning that series and getting swept very easily there i mean their their entire uh existence since the beginning of last season has been a study in variant <laughs> right <laughs> i see a lot of variables in the atlanta new york series sure. uh just because i think we just don't we don't know exactly what either of those teams are. We don't know how much the uh, like was the was the Knicks giant shooting progression this year. Like, is that real? Yeah, o- <laughs> like, over time. Yeah, do we know that? Yeah, um, and not just Randall either. I mean, Ben Barrett and uh, Bullock and uh, there's one other guy too. Had a massive Derrick Rose had a massive jump. Yeah, uh, and what are these coaches in the postseason? Um, or are they are they what what they thought we were? And to paraphrase Dennis Green, and is is that going to raise its ugly head? Uh, first real series for most of these guys too. For, first time we've seen them in this spotlight i mean who who in this series has even played in the playoffs before derrick rose yeah gallo uh, I, th- I, mean, I think reggie bullock bullock got swept in a first round once right yeah gallo would be the other one right could capella played in it played in a Houston. yeah he's probably but not yeah he's he's the most experienced guy well he and gallo are probably are the most experienced guys in the hawks but um yeah but yeah. bogdan he's been in purgatory this whole time he's got a lot of fiba experience obviously well and i've got another one too which is uh i mean the health of lebron james and whatever series I mean that that is the biggest variable yeah. in the entire playoffs uh with that high ankle sprain and the ability to re-injure it. I mean, my working assumption has been that I think he'll he'll play kind of at a reduced level the way that Steph Curry did when he came back from his uh MCL injury in 2016. You know, that it's gonna he'll yeah. still be the same guy, but that it, it's just it'll be a little bit less effective as well. I, I think actually one of the things I was saying yesterday to Danny was it makes more sense to go small now because he can play out of the post more. He's not as reliant on attacking the basket and, and attacking off of one foot and exploding. Where if you play out of the post, that's just it's kind of easier. You're more stable. You're playing off of two feet mostly. You're less likely to huh. re-injure it. So I, I would be trying to go more with him in the post, I think, uh, if I were them. But then of course their three centers probably can't play if they're gonna play that way. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean 
that that could be seen as a feature and not a bug. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the other thing is don't sleep on AD's shoulder either, right? I mean that that thing's not 100 percent either. There's there's just some questions all around with with uh, physically with this Laker team. You, you do see him like grabbing down at that calf every once in a while uh, as well, where he had had the tendinosis. Um, rot- that can actually be take us into rotation players who are most likely to have their roles cut, and I mean the Lakers centers have got to be at the top of that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Uh, the the other guy. I was actually thinking of another center for uh, for tonight. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see much of Brandon Clark. Oh, against. against it just seems Antonio. just seems to me like Mem- Memphis could just cut it to Valanciunas, Tillman, and Jaron, and leave it at that. Um, you know, cut it cut it down to eight. Wait, what, basically, what are you talking about? Memphis, Memphis, and Santa? They're playing. That's part of the playoffs. What? They're playing in a real game that they, like counts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was I was just going to tune in for it's for on TV and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, not many people will know that it's on TV. Perhaps I actually <laughs> think San Antonio has a decent chance of winning that game. Uh, I actually think they match up reasonably well with Memphis, just with Pirtle's rim protection. Uh, I I know you picked Memphis. I, I picked Memphis to win too. But I think San Antonio probably has more of a chance than people are. are they have win. a reasonable shot at winning that game. I would be more inclined to pick them if Derek White was still available. Sure. Uh, but it's, it's interesting, you know, they're kind of similar in some ways, like they don't really, you know, they rely, both rely so heavily on paint points and, uh, transitions and the half court offense is a little clunky for both of them. And they, they like to play big. Like it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how they're, they're similar while being different. MVP of the first round. Who who do you think it will be? And I we probably need to limit this to a series that are somewhat competitive. At least like Joel Embiid is gonna just destroy whoever he plays in the in the first round. But uh, in like real series, it's gonna be either Lillard or Jokic, right? They're both gonna put up monster stats in that series. I would think that that would be my expectation. But you could, I mean, there are a lot of guys who could emerge, right? Like if Utah uh, beats the Warriors or or beats the Lakers, you know, or it could be Rudy Gobert. Could be LeBron if the the Lakers uh, beat Phoenix, for example. You know, the, there are a lot of teams that, that could emerge. Could be Kawhi in the. Uh, I mean, if if Dallas is competitive, I mean, it's going to have to be with Luca being so unbelievable. Luca, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Julius Randle will be another one. Yeah, no, or uh, maybe Trey Young. <laughs> or Trey Young. Or Trey Young. Yeah. Uh, any rookies that you think are, are just kind of interesting to watch in these playoffs? This will be our our close to our last one here, and the, then we can move into the, the speaker request in about five minutes here. So thanks to everyone who got yours in. Uh, we will try to uh, get to as many of those as we can. Over under on the number of minutes Obi Toppin is playing against Onyeka Okongwu. <laughs> oh man! Uh, in, in, during competitive portions of the game, yeah, I'll 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 set the over under at at three a night. Well, that's I think that might just be for Toppin's minutes alone. R- Randall played <laughs> yeah. forty five minutes in one of these these games when the Knicks were scraping by against uh some pretty inferior. Yeah, the, was that against that might have been like the Celtics game where the Celtics didn't even play in their guys and they barely beat them. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, so I mean, that's I mean, Facundo Campazzo is going to be a, not that much of a rookie and a very experienced guy, but I think he's yeah. he's someone who has some defined weaknesses, and over the course of a seven game series, I think could start to get exploited. Some absolutely, yeah, uh, he's an interesting one. Um, Emmanuel, I don't Wood- know how much quickly plays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
the, the rookies we're going to see the most are actually tonight. It's going to be Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain. I think I think those are the two rookies you're going to see the most. Yeah, they only played Tillman like two minutes, and I think it, a lot of people prefer seeing Tillman rather than the Jaron at center minutes, which haven't looked very good for yeah. the Grizz since he came back. It's it's tough for the Grizz reintegrating him. He, he has not been the same guy quite yet, but obviously, given where you want to go as a franchise, he, he needs to play. Um, yeah, I think quickly is a big one, going back to him, because whether Tibbs and how much Tibbs plays Alfred Payton and how much they're punting on that first unit where they just have no spacing going up against playoff scouting you know I think to, yeah. quickly to me makes the most sense to move into that starting lineup rather than that's Rose. the game the adjustment after the first game they lose right yeah well, as we saw, I mean, hopefully people will learn in the playing game in the future that, you know, you can't treat it like game one of a playoff series, which is what I think like Scott Brooks and uh, and James Borrego did starting Biombo and Alex yeah. Len last night. And yeah, so, I mean, you could also just try to win game one with your best group. I mean, that's, that's what Spo <laughs> did last year, right? That was such an underrated thing where they started Myers, Leonard, or Olenek all year and they start the first game of the playoffs. And just game one, yeah. And it's just they bam. Didn't, they didn't... They didn't wait till they were down 2-0 to be like, okay, let's change stuff up. Yeah, it was just like, no, we're just we'll make the adjustment right now at the beginning of the series. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was great. Be- because like these coaches know, even the bad coaches, they know who their best guys are because we see that, oh, it didn't go well. I'm gonna not play Bismack Biombo the entire rest of the game after starting him. Yeah. Right? Like you know what your yeah. best lineup is. Just start your best lineup. It's the playoffs. Try to win. Like yeah. you're not Steve Kerr with the 2017 Warriors, like you need to actually put your best foot forward the entire game to win and get your team, especially for a yeah. young team to like they're down seven before Biombo even goes out of the game. All right, sorry. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, he's smacking his mic, he's so upset about yeah. this. And, and I mean, the most interesting coach, obviously, I, I think it's Budenholzer pretty clearly here. Like, that's just he and there's discussion, obviously, that he needs to make a, a significant advancement. I mean, I mean, basically, it seems like what the standard is going to be in Milwaukee according to Sam Amick's reporting is just that they need to basically give hope with this performance this year that a championship is realistically in their future with Mike Budenholzer as yeah coach. yeah I, I think that's accurate and and they got a tough they got a tough pathway man potentially going Miami Brooklyn Philadelphia and then West Champ I mean whew. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be one of the hardest paths that anyone has ever had. And the Lakers' path maybe could be. I mean, if they actually get the seven, it probably won't actually be as bad as they would have thought, other than just the fact that they're going to be on the road for all three series. Yeah, because that now that 3-6, what you see, if the Clippers had tried in, in that final game, then it looks much more difficult for the Lakers, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. But the, the Clippers also wanted to, to have what they perceived to be the, the easiest path. Okay, two more categories yeah. here before we take questions. The best playoff defense is? Um, is it the Lakers still? I think so. Can we still say that? Because yeah. they have all the rim protection, but they also have the ability to go small. Like, they can play any style, right? Whereas Philly mm-hmm. and Utah would probably be your other two candidates. And Milwaukee would probably be your other three candidates. And I yeah. just don't trust those teams to be versatile and execute different styles the way you do with Hill. And I think uh, that Anthony Davis is the best uh, playoff defensive player right now. The, um, the Clippers have that variability but they don't have that interior guy who's at that level 
Yeah. Yeah. They can switch, but once you get past the first guy, they have no help defense beyond that. Right. Right. Yeah. They don't have that Draymond or that AD on the back line. And I mean, best playoff offense, I, I think we can just say it's the Nets and, and take some questions here. <laughs> I think we can, yeah, leave that one there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Totally. If you're hiring for your company, what you need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You don't need 500 candidates who just applied with no regard for what the actual qualifications are. You need Indeed instead. You can post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You can also use skill tests to winnow down the field of applicants. And using Indeed overall will on average reduce the amount of time you spend on hiring by 27%. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and you can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. They've got over 130 skills tests or you can even add your own. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So you're getting the high quality candidates, you're saving time and ultimately, getting the applicants that are right for you get started right now with a free 75 dollars sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked the name of this network get a 75 dollars credit indeed.com slash locked indeed.com slash locked offer valid through june 30th terms and conditions apply what's up sports fans matt peck here host of locked on bulls and i want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast huge fan is a new serious xm original podcast where stars talk sports each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. So let's get in here and uh, first guy, hopefully he's still here, uh, friend of Dunked On, Christian Pelotier. You are on. Christian, what's going on, man? How are you? We'll take a second to let him jump in. Christian, you're muted. Now John is gone. No, no John is gone. <laughs> but Yeah, my question yeah. is... Yeah, thanks for having me on, and and actually, my I have two questions for John if if he ever jumps on. Yeah, let, let me but, see if I can get him back in here one second. Uh, all right, maybe his his internet went down. See if he's still there on our podcast recording. Yeah, he's still there. Then all right, we'll, we'll try and get him back in. But yeah, what what are the questions for him? Um, so uh, uh, for John, um, when looking at coaching hirings, obviously, you know, favorite schemes are important. But how closely do teams look at not only kind of what the coach tends to run with his teams, but how his teams execute generally? For, ex- for example, like the Bulls perimeter guys definitely set a new record this season in terms of number of times that they were hit by opposition ball screens. Whereas Thibodeau's teams, for example, always do a really good job of increasing ball pressure just when the screen is about to arrive and avoid getting hit. And maybe an offensive example, 
uh, for years, uh, bigs have been taught, especially against drop coverage, is to hit and hold their ball screens. But with Denver under Mike Malone, especially with Jokic and also even with Mason Plumley last year, the bigs are taught only to hold the screens if the on-ball defender's feet are parallel to the three-point line. If his feet are directing the offensive player towards the screen, there really isn't a reason to hit your screen, but rather it's better to slip since the ball handler is already getting into the paint. How much like is stuff like that? looked at when uh, thinking about coaching hirings yeah so john this is uh uh, christian he's a he's a coach in finland also does uh some nba broadcasting in finland but he was his question was uh uh how much do coaches look at just how well the players execute or, or i'm sorry how much do front offices look at how well coaches players execute the scheme in terms of just like some of the little stuff as opposed to just what the overall scheme is when you're uh, evaluating a a coaching hire or fire or or whatever yeah i think that kind of runs hand in hand because you want they have to be able to explain the scheme and get the players to execute it i mean that's the whole thing right and you have to be able to do things that are within your player's skill sets, both physically and mentally. So, you know, and in some ways that confers an advantage, like Nick Nurse two years ago had all these crazy high IQ guys, so he could throw a lot of random out there and they would figure it out. But so we took advantage of that. But then you got to know if you have a different kind of team that you have to keep it simpler. Like that was like the original advantage of Scott Brooks. Like we dump on Scott Brooks. But in Oklahoma City was that that team was so young and he did keep it simple. And it really helped them because he kept it simple. Excellent. And uh, secondly, uh, around 20, I counted at one point of the 30 starting centers this season were players of a foreign origin also, out of the top rebounders in uh, this year, only Russell Westbrook or Russell Westbrook was the only American in the top 11. What's the discussion around the league or is there a worry generally that the AAU system is really failing in developing bigs? Like, for example, if you're picking between two bigs in the second round or something, is it safer taking a European big in those situations? Huh. Uh, I don't think that's been a big discussion. I mean, I do think overseas they do a better job of developing the skill level of their bigs as opposed to just having to be rim runner shot blockers. So I think there's something to that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I don't think it's something we discuss a whole bunch. Because honestly, I mean, there have been – sort of what you would call unskilled overseas bigs that have been drafted and, sure. and thrived as well. You know, you look at Clint Capella or Ruby, Rudy Gobert, for instance. Um, so that's interesting. There's, I think there's something going on there, but I'm not sure it's something that like front offices really actively talk about either. So here's my theory. All right. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, here's my theory on that, Christian, is just that uh, being a big man, a lot of it is just about your physical characteristics. And so people are going to emerge with those physical characteristics basically anywhere in the world. And so Gobert, Capella, I think are two pretty good examples of that where they're not the highest skill players, but they just because being a big man is more dependent on just what your physical skills are whereas you know here in in the u.s like guards wings like those are guys who are kind of more dependent on like having a high skill level and also creativity so i actually think that for guards and wings i would say that the u.s does a better job of developing those guys we also probably have generally more athletic 
prospects, but guys who just grow up playing in a more creative, more one-on-one environment. At least when I've talked to some uh, Europeans about that it, years ago when I was at the Eurocamp, they sort of, they wish that there was a little bit more individual creativity allowed in European development. But once you get to bigs, you can be big and you can be strong and you can jump and grow up anywhere. Whereas getting that creativity at a young age that really gets your, not that you can't develop that overseas, but I think more American players have that. But that's, that's an interesting thought. I mean, now, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid, I mean, those guys are basically products of the American development system. So some of, some of those guys are technically international players, but they were still developed here. So, but I, I mean, I think there is, there are reasons why you do see most of the, I mean, another reason too, frankly, is just that, hey, if a guy's seven foot, no matter where he comes from, like you're going to get scouts attention. Whereas as a guard, maybe you're, you're not going to right? like someone like Compazzo or, um, you know, Mil- uh, Milos right? Like those guys, you got to really prove it overseas before people will believe in you unless you're like a really athletic athletic guy Th- thanks for that christian and uh we, we got to talk about your mike malone email that you sent me at at, at some point christian christian <laughs> uh thought we had mike malone uh way too low in our coach rankings you're, you're not alone in that all right but let's uh let's get to thanks. drew here drew you are on with uh me and john how you doing doing well thanks for taking the question i'm gonna steer us off the playoffs for a second i got a two-parter um the first is for you nate which is you mentioned in the dunk on podcasts this week that you heard a little bit about behind the scenes stuff about Zion not wanting to be in New Orleans. I know you mentioned some outside stuff where we can all read the tea leaves, but I'm curious what that behind the scenes bit is. And then the second part is I'm wondering if you guys have heard of any creative solutions that you think do have promise to prevent guys from teaming up midway through their careers, whether it's, I don't know, sometimes I've wondered about the possibility of, um, um, you know, there being ways for a team that's drafted a player to pay them far more than the normal max, but maybe off the cap or something like that. I wonder if there are any creative solutions that you do believe in. Well, so actually, I wanted to get John's thoughts on this. I, I've talked about this Zion situation pretty extensively, like David Griffin's comments about it, Zion's broken finger and all that stuff. Like, John, what, what is your take on what's going on in New Orleans right now? Like, do you have you heard anything about like Zion not really being that unhappy? Or, or not being that happy there or there is yeah there there is so much smoke that there cannot possibly not be a fire mm. yeah that, that's kind of the position the, i that, took that that, that 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 is what i will say on that front and uh you know i don't want to get into specifics quite yet because you know we work for a news organization and we you know try to get all the sourcing and everything but yeah that is that that is definitely a, a, a thing that is making the rounds yeah i mean i'll say this like you know if we're talking about something that wouldn't qualify as hearsay in a court of law you know have i had conversations with like oh yeah someone in the organization who says oh yeah he's miserable there or like someone in his camp no like it's it's kind of secondhand stuff but generally the track record of things like this when you hear it from a ton of people and there's all this other see that's the other thing too right like if there was nothing else 
publicly that we knew to back this up and you hear something like this, like then it's easy to dismiss it. Right. But like when all of the arrows are pointing in a certain direction, including some things that you hear second or third hand behind the scenes, that's, it's pretty easy. I think to, to draw the conclusion there is, is what I'd yeah. say. And Andrew, I think we're, we're just going to leave that second question for me for another time. Cause we do want to get a few more people in there. That's probably going to take us like 10 minutes to talk about that. So I apologize. We're not going to get to that one, but uh, let's, uh, let's bring in uh Caleb, Caleb, you are on with John and me. You are unmuted. Let's go. Hi there. Uh, I'm, yeah, I've listened for a long time and I'm a big Raptors fan. And I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the whole uh, Kyle Lowry situation. Just everything from the, the trade not happening and him taking a lot of rest in the, the season and his potential contract in the upcoming summer. Just your guys' thoughts on what you think about all that. And then what are the chances that the Raptors actually get him back for next season? Yeah, for those who missed it, I think it's- qu- quickly, let me just give a little summary. Yesterday, sure. he had his exit interviews and he basically said, uh, you know, I'd love to be back. And like, I did want to try to do something special this year. It didn't just didn't work out. But uh, years and money talk was uh, his quote. So uh, now, John, if you want to weigh in there now that people have that background. I was a bit surprised that they didn't deal him because I didn't see how bringing him back made a ton of sense next year. And the the only way that I think it does is if it's like a Marcus Morris type thing where they sign him to a one-year deal and then try to shop him again at midseason. Because, I mean, they're going to be rebuilding around these younger guys like they are. And by the by, the next the, the next time they're good enough to win a championship, Kyle Lowry is not going to be an important part of that. So I I think it just makes sense that they would move on from them. And you know we faced a similar situation in Memphis with Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, where they they were just at a point where it didn't totally make sense for us to go all in to bring them back because we were going to have to turn around that boat. And uh, I, th- I think they're kind of at that similar point with Kyle Lowry. Well, also interesting Masai's comments this morning. Uh, I don't know if people saw those yet, but he's basically saying he's not sure if he's going to come back and he wanted to kind of be a free agent and that whether he comes back is going to be dependent upon whether basically like Toronto's ownership like makes the change. He said things along the line. I got to listen to this whole presser. I just saw some Twitter clips of it, but he, that Toronto needs to like advocate more for itself in the league hierarchy. I guess he wants like the ownership overall to be more involved potentially. So that I, I just don't, I've, I mean, I, I understand Caleb why you're so confused with the situation in Toronto because I, I am too. I have no idea what's going on there with Lowry yeah. and why they didn't trade him and, and all that. Right. I mean, it's, it's, what, what are people up there saying? Are they just totally befuddled as well? Yeah. Pretty much the same process of thought. Like everyone thought he was going to be traded. And if he didn't get traded, are they going to bring him back? Like that's the whole thing. Like why bring him back? Like why not deal him if you're not going to bring him back just to lose him for nothing? That's our whole thought process up here. Yeah. There's the report of maybe that Philly is going to try and get involved with him again with uh, in sign and trade talks, but presumably he won't get as much in a sign and trade as he would have gotten before. So, no. and, and then just the fact that like they keep him around and then they just completely shut him down for the rest of the year as well, which I mean, exactly. that's the other. makes sense. You know, they got the seven yeah. seed in the lottery. That's pretty good. It was they, well, well executed uh, mini tank at the end there by, by the Raptors. <laughs> 
I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't dispute that. Yeah, it, it was more yeah. like an armored personnel carrier, not not necessarily like a full main <laughs> battle tank. Uh, Light yeah. infantry. I, I read a lot of Tom Clancy books as a child. I'm sorry. Um, okay, <laughs> let's uh, let's get a couple more in here. Thanks for for that one. Let's go to. Thank you. Uh, let's get to Chet. How you doing, Chet? Good. How you guys doing? A uh, long time listener, first time uh, getting in here. Um, I wanted to ask. Uh, I'm a Laker fan, and obviously the playoffs is going to be you know, dependent on you know LeBron and AD's health and whatnot. But I'm more focused on the off season with Caruso, THT, and um, Schroeder all up for you know we're going to have to resign one, two, or three of them. I mean THT, Caruso, they could get paid a lot depending on by what team they could get fall in love with. Like what what kind of offers should we be matching and how should we be handling that situation? Well, I mean, you're, you're in it. You have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in their prime right now. So the answer is you spend the money right now. I mean, you're the Lakers too. You can't plead poverty, right? So to, to me, you're, you're matching almost anything reasonable on Schroeder and Caruso because I think those are core guys for you. Um, you might sort of secretly be hoping that Montrezl Harrell opts out of his deal. Um, Horton Tucker, I think, is an interesting one. I think somebody's going to drop a big sheet on him and see if the Lakers flinch because of the luxury tax implications. But I would, I mean, I would try to keep him if I was the Lakers too, just because they're protected a little bit the first two years of that arenas rule. Like, no matter, even if he gets the Tyler Johnson special, it's only the mid level those first two years. And those are the two years where LeBron is on this huge number. So I, I actually think like, you know, you got to go ahead and shoot money out of the fire hose a little bit when you're at this point in the evolution of a franchise, because you're just you're just not going to keep getting these chances over and over again, even as the Lakers. Right. Like you, you still only get so many chances with players like this in their prime. Right. That's for sure. True. I mean, here's the, the only thing I'm like thinking of is the Schroeder and THT is kind of a similar skill set. And it's a little bit of a redundancy. And we've all the Laker fans, Laker Twitter, we're, we're all up in arms that we didn't go after like a bigger wing type that could mesh with LeBron and AD more like a bigger wing that could, you know, kind of hang with Paul George and Kawhi. Yeah, yeah maybe or whatever. like, a, like a Danny Green, that type of player. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> no, uh, I mean, okay. da- Danny, First of all, it's not our yeah. fault. It's not our fault that every time someone comes to the Lakers, they forget how to shoot. Okay. That yeah. is not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, shot it, he shot it well enough last year, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think they did need to get one more playmaker. I don't know if Schroeder would have been the guy that I would have targeted there. And man, I mean that's uh, we got asked. I was yeah. thinking more midseason. Oh yeah, when, when yeah. They like had, the when Kyle, they went with Drummond, yeah, let Lowry. I mean that was. I think that was an interesting one too. If they if it was really just Taylor Horton Tucker and not also including a first round pick like Horton Tucker and Schroeder for Lowry, if that was the trade, uh, maybe I think KCP might have been in that too. Yeah, I mean yeah, KCP. Then it gets a little tough. Tough. Maybe they could have gotten somebody more on the on the buyout market because yeah, I think I don't think they could have gotten there unless they would also included KCP in terms of salary matching. Um, yeah, exactly. So exactly. 
Um, in any event, yeah, I, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating in their offseason. And we didn't mention him, but Schroeder clearly is another one of these veterans who's just has a lot on the line here. If the Lakers go out early, do they really want to pay him all, all this money? Probably not. You know, they might just try to go in another direction. And he's also not going to have much of a market elsewhere. If the Lakers make a good run or win the championship, yeah. then yeah, he'll probably get his $25 million. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, one more thing. Is, is there a chance that we could do any sort of sign? and trade with THD or does that not work money-wise? Yeah, you could sign and trade him out. The problem is the base year rule, like you're just not getting, you're only going to get uh, like a $5 million exception out of it. So if, you, if, you're, if you're getting draft equity out of it, then then maybe that's something if, if you feel like it's going to be a gross offer that you don't want to match. Yeah. Right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And to be clear, what, what John's talking about is if you do a sign in trade, the outgoing salary doesn't count for uh, that much when the guy wasn't making very much to begin with, which obviously Horton Tucker was on a minimum. Okay. We've got time here. Let's see. Let me get in here. Let's do one more from let's get Brian in here. Brian, how are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty well. What's Great. up? Okay, quickly, um, so I know everyone's talking about the play-in and the first round, but I want to think about some future casting here. So the one second-round playoff matchup that everyone is penciling in right now is Jazz versus Clippers. Given that, I'm curious for your perspective on that matchup, and my thought really quickly is that it's a very, very bad matchup for the Jazz for a couple of reasons. First, the Clippers have two all-NBA, you know, apex predator-type wings, and the Jazz have basically a single above average, cap- capably sized wing defender in Royce O'Neal. And secondly, you know, the, enti- the Jazz's entire structure, as John has talked about so eloquently, is um, built around uh, Rudy Gobert and that drop coverage that is focused on protecting the rim. Um, and that doesn't really matter against the Clippers because they take so few shots at the rim and uh, they can punish a drop defense with those five out lineups featuring guys like Marcus Morris and Serge Ibaka. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, the Clippers can throw Beverly, George, and Rondo at, at Mitchell. And um, they are one of the best teams in the league set up to switch everything and remain competitive against, you know, that Mitchell Gobert or that Ingles Gobert pick and roll. So, um, and I also think people are underplaying a little bit how difficult the Jazz's path to an NBA championship is. I mean, after the first round, which should be easy, it's potentially Clippers, Lakers, and then either Nets, Bucks, or Sixers. So I'm just curious for your general take on uh, people really not talking about how the one seed uh, in the West really has an unfavorable uh, series of matchups out of it. Yeah, they got to be so pissed the Clippers tanked that game because they, but like by all rights, they should be playing Denver again or Denver Dallas winner in the second round, right? Which I think they'd feel more comfortable with. And instead, it's the Clippers and the Clippers, as you point out, I mean, with their jump shooting and whatnot. Now, I will say, I mean, the Jazz aren't just a drop coverage. Like Gobert can switch. He's actually pretty good at it. And But the problem is then you, you move the ball and then you have another player with potentially a mismatch against you know Conley or Mitchell or whatever and and Gobert's away from the rim and there's nobody else so so that that creates some issues and I I do think the Clippers they have the switchability aspect they don't have great rim protection and you know the the Jazz are able to hurt you inside even uh even if it's not necessarily Gobert, like Bogdanovich is a good post player. Like if you just switch and switch and, you know, end up with a small on him, like he's going to mash that guy. Uh, you know, Ingles, Ingles is 
big. Like he can he can do some stuff against small guards because he's just kind of you know Heisman trophying them a little bit on his drive. Um, <laughs> so I, I still think there's some advantages there for them if if the Clippers are caught with the right lineup. It's an uncomfortable matchup for Utah. It's not a like for a one four matchup. It feels more like a 50 50 series to me than your your typical one four where you're like, well, they're a you know 80 90 percent favorite. Like you would not say that about this one at all. They did beat the Clippers twice this year, though, and and the game they lost was pretty close. Yeah, I mean, the, but I, I thought the one where the Clippers did win was you know, just a perfect. They want for why they would not. Yeah, win. they won in the exact way you thought they would win against the Jazz, right? Yeah. Like it, it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah, and going with Morris at center, I mean, that spaces Gobert out, so it's just really difficult for him to provide more his usual help at the rim. So, I mean, I probably, knowing what we know now, I probably would pick that as Clippers and six, but I think the Jazz could still win this series, and particularly with home court. I think that's going to matter. The Jazz are going to have, you know, like 10,000, 12,000 fans in there with the number one seed. I mean, I expect them to, uh, th- that to be a big deal, that Jazz home court all right well this was a lot of fun thanks to everyone who submitted a speaker request sorry that we can't get to everyone but we'll be back to talk next week same time to eastern 11 pacific and uh john what'd you write about for the athletic this week before we go well i wrote about uh my award picks and uh had my playing picks too actually uh but uh, you know as we talked about earlier in the show uh i picked all my awards for the season and then coming tomorrow i do have my my first round playoff picks will be out yeah, and Danny and I are doing something really fun now. We're going to be casting games on this app called Hot Mike, where basically you can just download the app and it will sync up our commentary to your TV automatically. And then you can ask us questions. You can even jump in, similar style to what they do on Locker Room here, uh, to ask us questions during the course of the game. So the first one we're doing is going to be tonight, actually, for Warriors and Lakers. And then we'll be doing uh, that throughout, probably about three times a week throughout the postseason. And so uh, please check that out. Uh, join us, watch the game. We'll do a uh, live commentary. If you haven't had a chance to uh, join us on through the NBA on League Pass, we're now doing this hot mic app for, since all these games are on national TV, obviously. So we will talk to y'all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.